Hey, good morning. It's good to see y'all this morning. I don't know if you know this, but we're entering the home stretch of our series through the Ten Commandments. This is week nine of ten in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, also known as the Ten Words. Uh, and so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, we'll get started. Now, by the time we get to the events recorded in Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the law, God has already delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt and from, uh, you know, the city and the nation that they'd lived in for 430 years. That is a long time. The United States is only 243 years old. They were in Egypt for 430 years. Years And if you're reading through the Old Testament, you know that the book of Genesis ends on a real high note for the people of Israel. Because the family of Isaac, also known as Israel, is thriving in Egypt and one of his own sons, Joseph, is serving as the prime minister there. But things take a turn for the worse in just one short chapter in Exodus chapter 1. After Joseph dies, a new pharaoh comes to power who forgets all about Joseph's amazing leadership and how he kind of single-handedly saved their nation. Instead of being grateful to the Hebrews, he saw the Hebrews as a threat. And so began hundreds of years of slavery for God's people. I mean, think about it, that's... Like that's lifetimes, full lifetimes of abuse, generations of powerlessness. Like understand that if you grow up and live in that environment uh, of powerlessness or being marginalized or abused, and you are suddenly kind of freed from that and given power, those people left to themselves... uh, they don't tend to naturally act in gracious and honorable ways with their new freedom. That's just reality. Like we tend often to ascribe nobility to those who are in down, who are downtrodden as if they are morally superior to others when we're all sinners. And like you see that like in the nation of Israel, like often the bullied become bullies themselves. Often, those who are abused may end up being abusers. Those freed from authoritarianism may end up rejecting all authority, even God's authority. And those who have lived under the yoke of slavery may cast off all restraint, even restraint from God that is good. Like we see this in the debacle of the golden calf where Israel like immediately after receiving the law rejects Yahweh and commits idolatry. We see this in their constant complaining against the leadership of Moses. You see, Israel needed more than deliverance from slavery. They needed deliverance from themselves. They needed deliverance from the past. They needed deliverance from everything that they had experienced growing up. And their ancestors had. They needed to be truly set free. Like God didn't set them free and say, hey, um, the promised land is that way. Uh, Like, call me, give me a heads up if you need my help, if anything 
goes bad with the Canaanites, let me know. Right? No, God sets Israel free so that they can live as a free people. And that's why He gives them the law in Exodus chapter 20. Because ultimate freedom is only found under God's authority, as we say every single week. When you think about the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, the two tables of the law, historically they have been divided this way, like the first table of the law contains commands one through four, and they address our vertical relationship with God. And the second table of the law contains commands five through ten, and they address our horizontal relationship with one another. And Jesus summarized both tables of the law this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so how do we fulfill the second table of the law? By loving our neighbor. And how do we love our neighbor? Well, the fifth word tells us, the fifth word calls us to honor first our parents. Honor your father and mother so that it might go well with you in the land that the Lord God, your God is giving you. The sixth command or sixth word calls us to honor life. You shall not murder. The seventh command calls us to honor marriage. You shall not commit adultery. And the eighth commandment calls us to honor property. You shall not steal. Now as you go through these commands, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're a little bit like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked Him how He might personally possess eternal life. And Jesus asked, what does the law say? And so He goes through the second table of the law basically like this. Check, 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 check. All of this I've done since I was a kid. Like, Lord, what else you got? What else do I need so that I can e inherit e eternal life? And maybe on your purely surface reading of the second table of the law, you're feeling really good about yourself. Like maybe you're thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm really good to my parents. I've never murdered anybody. I've never cheated on my husband or my wife. I'm not a thief. Man, man, I've got it going on. Like I'm doing really, really well here. In fact, I love this sermon series because it affirms my awesomeness. Because I look at the law of God and then I look at myself, man, things are going well with me. And then you get to the ninth commandment and you read these words. You shall not bear false witness or false testimony against your neighbor and you think, man, I am on a roll. Like I've never even been to court. And so I've never been sworn in, so I've never had a chance to give false testimony. Boom! Like mic drop. Like I'm it. Right? My streak of awesomeness continues. You know, the end, sermon over, you know, let's pray and go to lunch. Right? But before you start gathering up your belongings and getting up and heading for the door, there are a couple principles that you need to remember as we look at the Ten Commandments, God's Ten Commandments. I'm just going to give you a two of these principles. The first one is what I call the all of you principle. The all of you principle. 
Simply stated, that means that the Ten Commandments are meant for all of you, both your inside and your outside, the internal and the external. They are meant to command inward integrity and outward conformity. The Lord doesn't judge like other men judge. Like the world, they just look at the surface. God looks all the way to the heart. That's why Jesus in Matthew 5 in His teaching on the Sermon on the Mount said that you have heard it said in days of old, Exodus 20, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Like God, like in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes to the heart of the mad matter. It's not just like what's going on on the surface. It's not just kind of pulling the wool over our eyes. It's not just this outside of you that's shiny and clean. God looks at your very heart. That's the all of you principle. And the second principle is this, the all of it principle stated simply, each commandment that God gives here stands for a whole category of sins. Like what the Ten Commandments do is they generally forbid, forbid the most extreme example of any one of these categories. Like Kevin DeYoung explains it like this. What, what we see throughout the Ten Commandments is that each commandment often gives us the worst example of sinning in some way. For instance, murder is the worst way of breaking the Sixth Commandment, but Jesus tells us that it's not the only way. It's not the only way you can break that commandment. Adultery is the worst way of violating the seventh commandment, but Jesus tells us that if you lust after someone, you have also sinned. So when the ninth, with the ninth commandment, the worst thing you can do, like the highest level of breaking this commandment, is to bear false witness in a court of law where someone's life could be snuffed out because of your deceit. The commandment doesn't just cover courtroom infractions. It deals with all manner of falsehoods. All of it. So, it's not just the big sins that God is concerned about. And hear this, guys. God considers every sin in the category to be as sinful as the most shameful form of that specific sin. You hear that? God considers every sin in that category to be as sinful as the most shameful form of that specific sin. And so before you start pointing out the brokenness of others, you might want to look at your own heart and your own actions and how you have allowed the little sins to take root in your heart, which will, of course, inevitably lead to these bigger sins that you are condemning in others. Now, with that in mind, what does God mean when He says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor? What He means is this. The ninth word calls for us to honor reputation. Specifically, the reputation of our neighbor. Now, the original context had in mind the giving of testimony that could end in either the condemnation or the vindication of your neighbor. But the word translated false witness or false testimony refers not just to lying under oath, but to speaking what is worthless, useless, and unfounded. Worthless, 
useless and unfounded. It might be empty of value or it might be filled with innuendo. That's what it means to like break the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment basically calls us to watch our mouths. Moms and dads, how many of y'all have ever said that to your kids? Or to your grandkids? Like y'all are better parents than me or your kids are better than my kids were. Like we just said, that was a normal thing you say. Hey, watch your mouth. Do not speak that way to your mom. Do not speak that way to your grandmother. Do not speak that way to your dad, to your sister, to your brother. Do not say those things. Watch your mouth. Have you ever tried to watch your mouth? Like it's down here. Like the only way I can watch my mouth is if I'm looking in a mirror. So what does that mean? It means to do what the psalmist commands. He, the psalmist prays this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In fact, James says that if we can control our mouths, if we can control the words that come out, the things that we say, we have basically arrived. Because it's guys, it is impossible in this broken world in which we live. And so we need to watch our mouths. Proverbs 18 says this, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Have your, have your words ever gotten you in trouble? Like, especially guys in here, have you ever said something? That you just said something. It was just words. It was just a comment. It was just, I thought it was funny. And now my nose is bleeding? Like now I'm on the floor rolling around punching somebody? Like what happened? Well, the words that we speak are dangerous. They steer the course of our very lives. So, think about this. Is there anything that you've said just in the last week that you wish you could take back? Anything that you've said in the last month or the last year that was so significant but was so, at that moment, thoughtless? You said it to your spouse or you said it to your kids or you said it to a friend or a coworker, and you wish you could just go back in time. Right? Get in that DeLorean, go 88 miles per hour, go back a year, go back six months, and just not say that thing. Like, are there words that you have spoken even in the distant past that still kind of float up and haunt you today? Or maybe there were words spoken to you. Thoughtless and careless and destructive words that in times of quiet still echo in your heart to this very day. The ninth word calls us to watch our mouths. And think about this. What if you like made a commitment to carefully choose every word you ever said as if you were giving testimony in court and had just been sworn in to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Do you think you would, I don't know, speak less? <laughs> Be slower to speak? Do you think it would change your speech at all? Like, what if you could be found guilty of perjury, not for what you say in court, but for what you say across the coffee table 
or over the cubicle at work, would you speak less? Would you speak more slowly? Would you be more thoughtful? Would it change the way you speak? And what does our speech and what do we say, what does that say about really the condition of our hearts? If that comes out of us, why is that? Like, have you said things at a thoughtless moment that you think, what the heck? Like, where did that come from? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Memorize that. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where did that come from? It came from you. It came from your heart. It came out of you because it was in you. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. What comes out of your mouth lives in your heart. I mean, does that sober you at all? I mean, what if you have to answer for that word? In fact, what if you had to answer before God for every careless word you ever spoke? Once again, would your speech change? Would you be slower to speak? Quicker to listen? Would you speak less? Because Jesus goes on to say in the very next verse, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You will be called to the witness stand not to speak of others, but to give an answer for your own words. And by your words you will be either set free or you will be condemned. Like, are you feeling nervous yet about your words? So what does God mean when He says you shall not bear false witness? In fact, what's included in the whole category of the sins of the tongue? I've made a list. I just have a few examples. Really just four. In fact, you're in luck because I had a lot more for the last service and I had to cut it down then. And I've cut it down even more. So I've cut it down to just four examples that I want you to consider. And of course, this list is not exhaustive. But when God says you shall not bear false witness, one of the things He means is you shall not lie. Like you know what a lie is, right? Or do you? Like we live in a culture of lies. Like we live in a world of lies to the point that we have become desensitized to the endless stream of half-truths and misinformation and deception. We have become desensitized to it, but God has not. In fact, we read in Proverbs 12.22 that the Lord detests lying lips. He hates lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. Like, do you need any further motivation to tell the truth than that? The thought that the Maker of all things hates lying. He hates it when we lie, when we shade the truth, when we steer the, to the story toward like making us look good when that's not reality, when we deviate from what is true and real and solid, and we fabricate a story that 
promotes us and builds our brand. God hates that. But He delights, He enjoys those who tell the truth. Like, do you need any more motivation to tell the truth than that? Well, if you do, how about this? In John 8.44, Jesus calls Satan a liar. And then, he, in fact, He says He's the father of lies. Speaking to the Pharisees, He says, you're just like your father. Like He was a liar from the beginning. And when He lies, He speaks His native language. Like the first lie recorded in, the garden, recorded in the Garden of Eden was him telling Eve, you surely will not die. Like do you naturally kind of color the truth to improve your standing? To build your brand? Like can people take you at your word? Are you trusted? Jesus said simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Meaning be such a man or woman of your word that people don't have to say sign this contract or swear this oath. You shouldn't have to say I swear by the temple or I swear by Yahweh. You should then you should instead just say yes. And they know your yes is a true yes or that your no is a true no. If you make a promise Keep your promises. See, the beauty of honesty is that you never have to remember like what you made up. You only have to remember what is true. True is that which conforms to reality. And when you tell the truth and you're a truth teller, you never have to remember reality and the story that you were spinning. Reality and this yarn that you put together. But if you begin to lie you have to begin to also lie to cover your lie. And then lie to cover the lie that covered the lie. And suddenly you're caught in a web of lies. And if you pull any of those threads, the whole thing collapses. But the beauty of honesty is you only have to remember reality. Like what you actually said, what you actually did, what actually happened. And so when God says, you shall not bear false witness, one of the things he means is you shall not lie. Another thing he means is you shall not gossip. You shall not gossip. We know what gossip is. It's passing on something that can't be proved or substantiated, but really it's more than that. We also gossip when we pass along something that is unnecessary. In fact, I was thinking of just the different layers of the sins of the tongue and how it's easy to say, hey, I would never bear false witness. But let me ask you, would you bear unnecessary witness? Like, Do you ever find yourself saying things to people about other people other than yourselves that are unnecessary for them to know? And even unnecessary for you to know? Like, are you bearing unnecessary witness? Like, what is it about the brokenness of our hearts that we love secrets? The bigger and the juicier, the better. Like, that is just... I mean, it just shows how broken we are. How far we have fallen. Like, imagine if you were in like the early pages of the Scripture, just as a bystander, like knowing the brokenness of your heart. Like if you saw the story of Abel and Cain that we looked at a couple weeks ago, 
in our heart of hearts, we would have been the people standing there saying, oh man, can you believe that Cain killed April? I mean, Abel? Man, that's really messed up. But you know, his mom, man, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? She picked that fruit. Her lazy husband was just standing there watching her. He didn't do anything about it. You know? And you know, Cain and Abel, I don't know if you know this, they were both public school kids. So, <laughs> there's that. I mean, that's, that's what we do with every story, right? Like every story that we have no business being a part of, we enter into it as if we're a key player and we pass on information that is unnecessary. And so once again, do you do that? Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. They're so tasty. You have a secret, I want to be a part of it. You have a little piece of gossip, I want to know about it. And I just want to pass it on. Like, do you regularly pass along information that is unnecessary? If you do, there's a word for that. It's called gossip. And there's a word for people who do that. They are called gossips. And so my pastor years ago when I was living in North Carolina put it this way, if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, stay out of it. If you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, you don't need to know about it. You don't need to know about everything. You don't need to know about everyone. You don't need to know about everything that's going on and every story that people are telling. They're probably saying things they shouldn't say and you don't need to know. Ignorance is okay in those situations. If you're not part of the problem, so you're not personally involved or part of the solution, you're stepping in to help. And I don't mean disguising your gossip as a prayer request. You don't need to know. You don't need to enter in. And so ask yourself, is this my story to tell? Is this my problem to fix? Is it really necessary for me to pass on this information? How are those involved benefiting from my big mouth? Will the person I'm about to talk about be happy with the conversation I'm about to have? In fact, Maybe I need to ask is, do I even know if this is really true? You know, it has been said that a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth even gets out of bed. And that is so true. You can say something at a thoughtless moment. Careless words sown on the wind to a group of people that then pass it on and you can never take it back. And in doing so, you have ruined a neighbor's reputation. So here's how we stop a gossip in their tracks. When someone comes to you to tell you something, just say this, hey, hold on. Uh, I don't think we should be having this conversation. Now that's awkward, right? Not as awkward as being a gossip. So say, hold on, I don't think we should have this conversation. I don't think this is our story to tell. I think we should stop right now. Or the old classic that I've told you about many times, that our elders and our staff, if you come to them with a, like a choice morsel that would go down and taste so good, 
This is what you'll hear from them. If you're going with them with information about someone else, they will say, how did they respond when you brought this to their attention? And if you say, oh, I didn't talk to them about it. I felt like it was best to come to you. They will say, well, there's a word for this and it's gossip. And so I can't hear this. You need to go to them and speak to them personally. In fact, here's a a good application of this whole command not to gossip. You shall not post stuff that you wouldn't say to that person in person. Right? I mean, that's a great principle. Because now we've, we've added to the sin of our tongue with the World Wide Web and we put stuff out there that's out there forever. And so if you wouldn't say it to somebody's face, don't say it. In fact, look over. I would encourage you to take some time this week to review some of your old social media posts and just ask the question, do they violate the ninth commandment? In fact, look over some of your old social media likes, stories that you have liked or that you have forwarded, and ask that same question, do these violate the ninth commandment? James 3, in James 3 he writes, with the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, And with it we curse men who have been made in His likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Like you hear in like James's writing, kind of a a heart of an older elder of a church who's just saying like, what is wrong with these people? And what's wrong with me? Like at one moment, my hands are in the air And I'm praising God and thanking Him for what He has done. In the very next moment, I'm saying, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, bless her heart. And he says, brothers, this should not be. Like that's not the way it's supposed to work. Like when God says you shall not bear false witness, one of the things He means is you shall not gossip. And then another thing he means is you shall not be divisive. You know, this is the kind of person who takes gossip to a whole new level, begins to slander. This is the kind of person that brings things to people's attention that they would not have thought of. You know, I just felt like I needed to bring this to your attention. Why? Like, why did you need to bring that to my attention? I didn't need to know about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't help me move toward Christ. And it doesn't help me think well of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, why did you need to bring that to my attention? This is the kind of person who is just, they would consider themselves really discerning. They see things that other people don't see. And so they just need to help us out and let us know about it. And so my question is, do you find yourself in... (laughs) Like, do you find your community in disunity? Like, do you surround yourself with people who are just as irritable about life as you are? Just as irritable about our country? Just as irritable about your family? Just as irritable about your job? Do you just tend to gravitate toward people who are just irritated? Well, I think the problem might be you. Right? Like, do not cause division especially within the body of Christ. Like I remember talking with somebody one time, this is a few years ago, who came to me and said, 
they introduced what they were about to say by saying, well, you know me, I'm not one to be negative. And I thought, do you know you? Like, you're the worst. Like, all you are is negative. Like, I've had people come to me and say, well, you know me, I'm not one to complain. I have never heard you not complain. Like, we've never had a normal conversation that wasn't preceded by why do we do this or that or whatever. Are you serious? You know me, I'm not one to gossip. Really? Like, you know that's going to be followed by gossip. <laughs> not so much. So here's how we stop division in its tracks. We obey the Word which says in Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. I don't know how, how long the gap is between that. You find a divisive person in your church, you warn them, then you wait. One, two, three, four. And then you warn them again. I don't know how it works. But if they keep it up, it says, after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. I mean, that sounds so harsh, but what he's saying here is, listen, anybody who would divide brothers in Christ, anybody who would divide the church of the living God, you need to deal with that seriously. In fact, as you look at the whole of the New Testament, there are three instances where church discipline is practiced at this level. Now, it doesn't mean it's limited to this, but it highlights three times when there is outright heresy, when there is blatant immorality, and when there is division within the body. Like the Apostle Paul tells us to deal with those things the same way. Confront it. Rebuke it. Give them a chance to repent. If they don't, have nothing to do with them. A lot of people tell us that they love our church because we are so unified. There's a reason for that. We take Titus 3 seriously. And we will not allow division and gossip to go on. Because it kills the body and it kills our witness in the community. And so after hearing... I think a really brief list there. Three things so far. Do you feel better about yourself in relationship to the ninth commandment than you did at the beginning of the sermon? Or do you feel worse? Well, if you feel worse, let me give you one last thing. That when God says, you shall not bear false witness, one of the things He means is that you shall speak a better word. See, it's not just avoiding the negative. God has given us the power to speak words of life and encouragement. The Scripture says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can speak a better word. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author calls the reader's attention back to that scene we talked about a moment ago when Cain kills Abel. You know, it says in the passage that Pastor Michael preached on a few weeks ago that the blood of Abel was crying from the ground, crying for justice, for vengeance, for the condemnation of his brother who would do that. And in Hebrews 12, the author calls our attention back to the blood of Abel calling from the ground. But then he tells us that the blood of the covenant 
the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. And what does he mean by that? He means that all the words that you have spoken, all the things that you have done, like stand in a stark testimony against you. Like all of your wickedness, all of your sin, all of you are gossips. Everyone in here, me included, have fallen into this trap. We have used words to tear others down and build ourselves up. Our words are prideful. We speak way too much. We're like the fool, always babbling. We're not slow to speak. We're not quick to listen. We're not people who extend grace. We extend judgment on others instead. All of us. And as a result, those words cry out for judgment and the accuser steps up and he has a lot of material to work with. But the blood of the new covenant, the blood of Christ, speaks a new word over us. And that word is grace. And that word is forgiveness. Instead of condemnation, there's a covering of the blood of Christ over each one of us who have placed our faith in Him. That is incredibly good news. And guys, we're able to extend that good news because we're called to speak a better word. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that I love. It's called, I Speak Jesus. When I heard that song, my wife played it for me. I immediately thought of the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 where he says, sometimes in our prayers, we don't know what to pray. We don't know what words to say. We're so burdened for somebody. Maybe you think about a time when one of your kids was going astray, moms and dads, and you're just praying for them, but you're at a point where you're just groaning. He says that those times the Spirit intercedes for us. Like the Spirit of God brings your groanings before the throne of God in a way that is complete and beautiful. And so guys, when we say we speak Jesus over you and Jesus over one another, what we're saying is we plead the blood of the covenant over this person. May they receive the blessings that they don't deserve. The grace that they did not earn. The forgiveness that Jesus won on the cross. May they experience that afresh and anew and so fall more madly in love with Him, our precious Savior. Let's pray. Father, once again, I pray that You would set a guard over our mouths, over our lips, that the words of our mouths, that the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to You, that we would say words that build up and don't destroy, that encourage and don't crush. And God, that You would tune our ears to hear the voice of the Spirit and what He says about us who are in Christ. We thank You for this table. We pray that You would bless the elements that this would be true spiritual nourishment as we take Your body and Your blood and remember what You did on our behalf. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.